0: It's Thanksgiving, and that means we're out of the office and don't want to do any real work. So we're bringing back some pieces we've done in the past, some Thanksgiving-y pieces. Uh, if you've been listening to the show for a long time, you've heard this. Maybe go listen to something else. There's a lot out there. There's a lot of podcasts. Uh, our producer Jillian suggests uh, any number of great BBC radio dramas. Seriously? But uh, if you haven't been listening for a long time, uh, here, here we go. Did you know that families fight 500% more on Thanksgiving than on any other holiday? That's not
1: a true fact. The only other holiday with with more fighting would be Boxing Day. David
0: Axelrod was an advisor to President Obama. He's dealt a lot with people who hate each other, like your family.
2: Yeah, actually, I've found dealing with uh, politicians easier than dealing with Thanksgiving dinner uh, with the family, you know.
0: Well,
1: so, okay, as a as a strategy guy, as an advisor to, to politicians, what do you tell them? Like, how do you tell them to deal with questions that they really don't want to answer?
2: Well, first of all, you want to steer the conversation, right? In my family, uh, you want to steer away from any reference to my uh, wedding, where uh, they got into such a heated dispute that my mother left, and we weren't sure until five minutes before the ceremony whether she was going to actually attend. Uh, so... One, choose the topics carefully. Uh, choose the innocuous topics that aren't going to set off the fireworks. Rule number two, pay special attention to the seating and keep the combatants far from each other.
1: Well, so, okay, we want to we put your skills to the test. Are you ready to do this?
2: Well, um, I'm frightened, but I'm willing to move forward. We,
0: uh, a lot of our listeners have written in with the awkward subjects likely to come up at their Thanksgiving dinners and we want you to to play the role of the Thanksgiving victim, somebody who's at the table, this comes up, and you need to somehow deflect it. Okay. All right. Okay, so your first role,
1: uh, this is Brent, and he anticipates at his Thanksgiving people are going to ask him, so Brent, how long have you been single? What's going on there? (laughs) Uh,
2: Well, I would say uh well tell me about you how long have you been together how did you guys get together i'm really interested in that and i'd uh, and i'd uh, turn the subject but i want to also retain always there's like an out card and i don't know it may be different in every city here in chicago when someone brings up something awkward uh the the out card is always how about those bears
1: oh, okay
2: and that that Creates a whole nother set of grievances
1: what was what was so well done with what you did for Brent was you not only steered the conversation away but you flattered the questioner,
2: yes, which is a skill you learn in politics, right you want to make people feel good about themselves, so turning the conversation back on them is often a good technique. I highly recommend that
1: okay so here here 's another one. This is from catherine, and it 's not so much a question as it is a topic she anticipates coming up around the table uh, due to the to the relative age of everybody there, and that's colonoscopies. <laughs> and people either sharing stories or asking advice. So imagine you're Catherine, and people around the table start talking about colonoscopies.
2: I would say, you seem so interested in it. Can you go up on... Uh, the turkey's up there. Why don't you demonstrate <laughs> how it's done? And Maybe that'll pull... Maybe that will... Uh stop the conversation, but it is, you know, everybody stands around and watches the turkey get prepared, people stuffing things up, the per- turkey's butt, so maybe it's only natural that colonoscopies, uh, as we say, flow from that.
1: Okay, here's, here's another one, and this is from Ellen, and it sounds like for her family gathering, uh, a lot of, lot of people, maybe people they don't see very often, and Ellen anticipates that her cousin, who recently announced uh, that he was a furry meaning he wears uh, usually like a mascot costume, <laughs> say, full animal costume, no part of his body exposed. She, sa-
0: she says it's a wolf.
1: She anticipates that her furry cousin will be there and things might get a little
0: weird.
2: In his costume?
0: She she says he may uh, come out mid-meal in his wolf costume.
2: Well, first of all, I hope he comes out at the end of the meal in his wolf costume, because if his meals are anything like my meals, that wolf costume is going to have to go right to the cleaner's. So that's one approach: is to say, listen, that is the greatest wolf costume I ever saw. You don't want to get all full of turkey and gravy and and pecan pie, and just you know make a, and identify with the wolf posing cousin. How does the cousin How does the cousin eat through the? Does the wolf costume permit that? That's, that's a, good
0: a good question. Yeah, I mean, imagine you can probably you can probably get gravy through the mesh, <laughs> but anything
2: solid. All the more reason. That This might not be the right time to wear
0: the
1: costume. But you know what? This is a situation where you really don't want to ask, how about them bears?
2: No. No, that could create all kinds of resentments and turmoil. All
1: right. David Axelrod, thanks so much.
2: Okay. Good to see you.
0: Thanksgiving is a time when you want to eat as much as you can, but you don't want to die while doing it.
1: Ian the Invader Hickman is a competitive eater, and he's still alive. He eats all the time to his max capacity and hasn't suffered
3: for it.
0: So, Invader, how do we prepare to eat as much as possible?
3: Uh, I would say to start with, of course, expanding your stomach and ways that you can do that. I don't advise it, just definitely be careful kids. But uh, you know, you can drink uh, a lot more water than you usually do in a shorter amount of time. Um So just, these are
1: you know, Ian, these are things that you do to prepare for a competition, right?
3: That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. I would um I would drink um about a gallon in uh, about two minutes time. Wait, what? A gallon, gallon of water. <laughs> and and what's even crazy is that a lot of the guys on the circuit now can, you know, do this in less than a minute
0: now does that what you're doing is basically stretching things out to make room for food does that hurt when you put down that much water that fast when i look back on it
3: you (laughs) you you really develop a pain tolerance for these things okay that's really what it comes down to i think because the human stomach can expand like four times you know, the size is just what prevents us from eating it is obviously the pain that's coming from, oh, I don't know, your stomach pushing against your kidneys and your uh, lungs and all this other stuff, you know.
1: Oh, that sounds horrible.
3: It's kind of crazy, right?
1: You feel pain. That way your body tells you to stop doing something, right? You got it. And so what you're trying to do is trick your body into not feeling that pain so that you just keep f- stuffing turkey and food into your stomach.
3: In high in hindsight, looking, looking at it, it sounds completely crazy, but it works.
0: So let's say though, I really want to go for it on Thanksgiving. Is there anything to my the way I eat, like a chewing strategy or anything that's going to help me put the most food down?
3: Using your molars, um, using the you know the back part of your uh, your your mouth there with the teeth. That's going to help uh, you use. That's going to help like prolong your jaw strength.
0: Oh, okay. okay? Believe it or
3: not, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like like. Things like that, uh, but what's good about Thanksgiving is that you know you're really not you're not having a speed contest. This is more of a uh, challenge in regards to not time, but uh, how long you can last.
1: It's yeah, it's like an endurance.
3: It's, a, endurance. it's straight up endurance. Is exactly right.
1: Is there anything else like? Is like a posture that I should adopt? Like because I imagine I'll just be kind of slumped over by the end. By the time we get to like the coffee
2: part if of you, the meal,
3: if you can, if you can, try and. Sitting upright, mm-hmm. uh, or if you really want to throw your uh, family members for a loop, just stand and, and hold your plate because it's really going to help you uh, eat more because it's, it's it's just more room for your uh, stomach to in. I love that idea. Yeah.
1: Here's here's a question. One thing I've noticed um, that surprised me about like the hot dog eating competitions huh? was I think they soak the bread in water. Yeah, and is that something that we would that help in this type of situation? Is there anything like any tricks to the food? that we should try?
3: Hmm. Well, uh, one thing I'm going to say is that uh, if you're going to approach this with the strategy to try and eat as much as you can, yes, really dipping, uh, you know, say the croissant roll mm-hmm. or, you know, the potato roll or whatever you have, or the cornbread even, uh, into water, you really don't want to do that on Thanksgiving. And the reason why is because you don't really want to fill up on water or tea or whatever you're having with your meal.
0: Okay. So the, the water, the dipping, it's a great strategy for speed, but it hurts your endurance eventually. Guys, this
3: is endurance, you know, and you don't want to fill up on the stuff that is really going really to hurt you. All
0: right. So here's a situation that I hope you can help me with. Let's say I, I've done pretty well. I've had a huge Thanksgiving dinner, but I am so, so full, and then it's time for a pie.
3: You always have room for dessert.
0: Well, what can I do if I if I'm like I really can't eat another bite, but I really want to have a slice of pumpkin pie? What can I do with my body or, or whatever to to make some room?
3: Well, one thing you can do is um, maybe go to the bathroom, try to extend your like sure. arms over your head. I'm, just, I'm being serious about this, and All just right. try to like try to like arch your back All a right. little bit, as in like uh, like imagine standing standing up. Mm-hmm. Holding your hands above your head and then just trying to uh, lean back like you're trying to break your back. You know what I mean?
1: So what's what's the goal what, here?
3: What, what you're doing with that is that you're almost kind of moving the food around. You know, jogging in place is also uh, a thing like that, like a, light, like a light jog kind of thing. Okay. Because you're 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 bouncing the food up and that's just almost moving it around, so to speak.
1: So maybe you should uh, invite everybody to have a quick race around the house.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, some people may puke, and uh, I don't know if, uh, you know, your family's going to want to clean that up. And they may make you clean that up, mm. which will just uh, flat out stink after eating all that food.
0: All right, Invader, I think we are prepared yeah. for Thanksgiving dinner. Thanks so much. All right.
3: Glad to help, and uh, you guys uh, be safe, and uh, and I'll eat an extra plate for both of you. Right. Hey,
0: thanks. A little, a little heads up. I, I was concerned. I called up a medical professional to talk about this. Um, your stomach does expand huge, as okay. Invader told us, but um, you have to be careful, because if you're already distended and you were to expand four times, right. as he says, uh, your, your stomach would explode. So, you know, Okay, use... so
1: start, start slowly. Yes. Just don't go in full bore yeah. and just swallow the turkey whole.
0: Yeah, if, uh, if you feel like your stomach's about to explode, just stop S- eating. Just stand up and jog in place. Just stop, stop eating.
4: My name's Inga Brody. I'm a professor at UNC Chapel Hill, um, where I sometimes teach courses on Jane Austen and direct the Comparative Literature Program.
0: Well, this seems like uh, as good a time as any to talk about uh, one of our, our sponsors, uh, Emma, who offers tools for email marketing. Is that, uh, you know Jane Austen's Emma pretty well. Is that about what goes on in that book, Email Marketing?
4: Oh, well, definitely. I'm not sure about the email part, but she would consider herself a kind of advertising genius. I think.
0: All right. Well,
1: uh, with with our Emma, you can create sophisticated, automated email campaigns and deliver targeted messages to your audience. Does Jane Austen's Emma do that?
4: Well, she um, she is a, she's probably literature's preeminent matchmaker, and she does definitely try to target audiences with important information.
0: Well, let me. Let's try this. I'm gonna read uh, the next line in the sponsorship credit, and why don't you tell me how how Emma might respond to it? Okay. The interface is super intuitive, so your team can create great-looking emails in a drag-and-drop editor and track the results using an interactive click map that shows where people are clicking in your email.
4: Okay.
1: You know, Emma's great for marketing teams or agencies who want to upgrade from the more DIY services but don't want the complexity and expense of an enterprise system. Does uh, Jane Austen's Emma deal with enterprise systems?
4: I'm not sure what an enterprise system is exactly.
1: Well, Dr. Brody, thank you so much.
4: (laughs) Sure. You have a great day. Thanks.
1: (laughs)
0: Bye-bye. We should also mention Dr. Brody is one of the organizers of the Jane Austen Summer Program. This is the time of year when people start wearing puffy coats. And you notice this uh, particularly when uh, you are riding to work on the subway and you are... um, almost suffocated between the puffy coats of your fellow travelers.
1: So we wanted to know how much space is actually taken up by puffy coats in uh, these enclosed
5: spaces.
0: So online with us now is our resident mathematician, Mike Nothnagel. So, Mike, uh, what what can you tell us?
5: Well, based on the numbers that you gave me, the measurements that you took with you in and out of The puffy coat.
0: Right. I I, I measured myself uh, around the shoulders, 44 inches without a puffy coat, 54 inches with a puffy coat.
5: So based on that, a person in a puffy coat is taking up about 25% of a non-puffy coated person's (laughs) face.
0: Okay. All right.
5: Right. So if we estimate that about 120 people can fit in a train car, assuming none of them are wearing puffy coats. That's right. That means we can only fit about 96 people if they're all wearing puffy coats.
0: Okay. So the puffy coats are taking up uh, the spots for 24 people in a train car.
5: Right. The The puffy coats are displacing 24 people's worth of space per car.
0: That's 24 people waiting on the cold subway platform that can't get on, but at least they're wearing coats. Hopefully. Can you tell us like how that um, plays out like in the course of a day?
5: Well, I looked up the number of riders that ride the Chicago trains on an average weekday. Right. And if we divide that by the number of people that can fit on a car, it works out to about 6,400 full train cars per day of riders. Okay. So if we do 24 people per car that are being displaced, multiplied by 6,400 cars per day, that's... 153,600 displaced people per day.
0: 153,000 people a day? Yep. How is that possible?
5: Feathers and air. Yeah. So if we then extrapolate that to the entire winter season... Yeah. And I estimated, I said, three months of winter, so 90 days roughly.
0: Okay. It's it's probably conservative in Chicago, but we'll take it.
5: Okay. So 153,600 people per day at 90 days of winter, is a total of 13,824,000 humans' worth of space.
1: Wow. Wow. So think about that next time you put on your puffy coat.
5: Right. Think about the shivering masses you're leaving on the platform so your feathers and air can have its own seat on the train.
2: <laughs>
1: So once your Thanksgiving feast is eaten, uh, if you've eaten a turkey, you probably have a wishbone left at the table.
0: You know how it works. You uh, you break it with someone else. Whoever gets the bigger piece wins. Don't just leave this to chance.
1: We're going to help you out. On the line with this now is Peter Moore from Men's Health with some wishbone strategies.
6: Uh, well, of course, we turn to experts for every important thing that we cover in the magazine. And for this one, we turn to a man named F. Dustin Clark, who is the poultry health veterinarian at the University of Arkansas. So, so we're going to present the wishbone and. Uh for the snapping ceremony. And what you're going to do is grasp it as low down on the V of the wishbone as possible. Now, your opponent will not have heard this podcast, so they'll be grasping it elsewhere, maybe uh, farther down on the V so that there'll be more bone and won't be so close to the very strongest part of the wishbone, which is the the, uh, the crux of the V. So,
0: So what you're saying is that I want to grab it uh, nearest the intersection of sort of the three prongs of the the wishbone.
6: You were you're you're catching on here. All for right, sure. but see now the idea here is because you think it's you know this will be like uh, arm wrestling where you want to get to jump on your opponent and make a strong move. This is the exact opposite, grasshopper. What we want to do is to let the opponent's strength beat him or her. So you are going to grasp it, but you're not going to pull at all. You're just going to hold on tight. You're going to be a vice grip on the thing and let your opponent pull. And what often happens in that circumstance is that the uh, opponent pulls out and up thinking that they're going to be able to snap it for you, uh, snap it against you by using their strength. In fact, what it's going to do is transfer the force from the, from the intersection between the two parts of the wishbone to the uh, vulnerable, weak side that they're working on. So to,
0: to summarize, I'm going to grab my side as near to where it's attached to my opponent's side as possible, and I'm just going to hold on and let uh, him or her pull. Yes. All right
6: their Their force is gonna be used against them. It's a very zen thing
0: and um do you uh do you know what since you're probably guaranteed to win your wishbone pull? do you know what what you're gonna wish for?
6: Oh my goodness, I guess what I would do is uh wish for the lion's share of the turkey gravy on the hot gravy sandwich I'm gonna have um uh, the next day.
1: That sounds pretty good. It's yeah. a pretty modest wish, really.
6: Well you, you expect me to say world world peace. Um wish for a promotion for F Dustin Clark at the University of, of
1: Arkansas. <laughs> I would wish to know what the F stands for.
6: <laughs> you know, it, it's his secret and you know, he's he's done enough for us already.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well thanks for this tip, Peter.
6: Yeah, I appreciate it.
1: We heard from Zoe. Zoe says she listens to How to Do Everything
0: while changing LeBron's shoes in Photoshop. Not sure what that means, but Zoe, these next 15 seconds are for you. I would like to watch LeBron James play a game in Crocs. I feel like all those debates, who's the greatest of all time, Jordan, or LeBron. If LeBron were able to drop 30 in lime green Crocs, contest is over. But what about Jordan in his prime versus LeBron in his prime, both wearing Crocs? Well, we can't go back. But LeBron is still playing. LeBron, if you're listening, play a game in Crocs, and if if you drop 30 or more points, you've won my respect. He sings out a song which is soft but it's clear, as if maybe someone could hear. Good night, you moonlight ladies. Rockabye, sweet baby James. That does it for this week's show. Uh, we didn't learn anything this week because we just played you a bunch of old tape. Uh, what are you thankful for, Mike? Honestly, I'm thankful that we didn't have to do any work this week, that we could just use the old tape. I I was going to say I'm thankful I get to host this show with you every week and for your friendship. Except this
1: week, because we're both going to leave the office and actually get to take a break
0: from all this stuff. It's just nice to have a companion. How to Do Everything is produced by Jillian Donovan with technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern this week is Kelsey Hardison. Thanks, Kelsey. Get us your questions at howto at npr.org. And visit our website, howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanksgiving.
1: Support for this podcast comes from Angie's List, helping consumers compare local service companies with access to ratings and reviews, exclusive discounts, And offers on services from plumbers, landscapers, handymen,
0: house cleaners, and more. Now offering an updated app for iPhone that helps consumers complete their home improvement projects from anywhere. And for our podcast listeners, here's
1: a special 40% discount on annual memberships. Go to Angie'sList.com
0: and use promo code NPR40. That's NPR40.